Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, again for your word, and we just pray that you would be our teacher tonight. And Father God, that, Lord, each one of our hearts would be open to what you want to minister to us. And we thank you that your word is not an old antiquated book, but it truly is the living and breathing word of God. So, Father, I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. The theme for the book of Leviticus, one word, what would it be? Holiness. And it really is about living a holy life. How God has saved us, but as He has saved us, He's also called us to walk closely with Him. To become more and more like Him. The world we live in today is very ungodly, is very outside of God's will. Sin has even become something that the church excuses away. You know, every sin that exists is a disease. It's not your fault. And, you know, and, and, the, and the book of Leviticus very clearly tells us God's highest, God's passion, His command that we would walk in holiness before a holy God. We saw in the first ten chapters the sacrificial system, then the laws of purification, then the, the Day of Atonement, which is also known as Yom Kippur, that all of the sacrifices pointing to Christ, and then Yom Kippur, the Day of, Appoint, of Atonement, points to Jesus' death on the cross. Then we got to chapters 18 and 19, and it talked about how to walk in holiness. And again, all these tapes are available, and as, as, as it is here at Calvary Chapel and always will be, the tapes are free, so help yourself. Uh, chapter 20, we saw the wages of sin is death. And then two weeks ago, before we went down to the beach last week, we looked at a royal priesthood. And I want to say this, as we're going to look more at the priest tonight, that God has called every one of us to be a priest, or a priestess, okay? However you want to term it. The reality is that there is only one great high priest, amen? And we don't have to go to any man anymore to confess our sins because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us daily. But it also says in 1 Peter, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are a people of God, who, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God has called all of us to a royal priesthood. So as we're looking more tonight at specifications for the priest, you might say, well, what has that got to do with me? Well, it's got everything to do with every one of us who's saved, because God has called each one of us to be a part of that royal priesthood. Now, what does a priest do today? The same thing a priest did back then, in a way. A priest was to do two things, represent God to the people and represent the people to God. We represent God to the people as we share our faith. And we represent people to God as we pray on their behalf. So it's through sharing and praying that we become priests and a representation of Him to a world that so desperately needs Him. Now last week we saw when we were look, began looking at the priest that those who were the priests were the ones that were allowed to pitch their tents closest to the Holy of Holies. You know what? The more time you spend with God, the closer you're going to be to Him. You know, it's like any relationship. We've got married couples in here, we've got engaged couples in here, and, and you know what the reality is, the more time you spend together, the more you're going to build that relationship, the closer you're going to be to each other. And the same is true of our relationship with the Lord. And he called them to stand before God, again, to represent Him to the people, and also to stand before people to represent Him to God. Now, we saw last week, finally, and then we'll look at the chapter, the defects that kept people from priestly service. And there were things that kept people from being used the way that God wanted to use them. And it was in the last portion of, of chapter 21. And the first one was, if they were blind, they could not serve as a priest. And we talked about how that, that, that God's picture of that today is someone who lacks vision. It says in Proverbs 29, for a lack of vision, the people perish. You cannot take people to a place you've never been yourself. If you're not someone who's sold out and on fire for God, you're certainly not going to disciple someone to be that way. And someone who's called into priestly ministry, whether it's in your own home. You know, if you don't have vision in your home, Dad, to be the spiritual leader in your home, to gather your kids together to pray and pray with your wife, it's not going to happen. Because for a lack of vision, the people perish. And your family will suffer the consequences down the road. We also saw if you were lame, you could not be a priest. And, and my interpretation again of that was we must be walking with God. And again, it's not how high we jump and how emotional we are, but how straight we walk every single day. Christianity is not something we do for two hours a week. It's who we are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's not just who we are when everyone's watching, it's who we are when no one's watching. Amen? Reputation is who we are before men. Character is who we are before God when no one else is watching us. 
We also saw that if they had a marred face or a flat nose or inability to smell, and I put lacking discernment. So we must have vision. We must be walking with God. We must be people of discernment. Talked about this on Sunday a little bit. God brings those, those Holy Spirit divine appointments, I believe, every single day into our life. And most of the time, or quite often, we miss them because we're so busy doing our stuff that we miss out on the leading of the Spirit. They also could not have too much flesh, relying on the flesh. They couldn't be broken-footed, which means unable to stand in adversity. They couldn't have a broken hand, a, a lack of ability to reach out. It says they could not be one who has dwarfed in their growth. They must be continuing to grow in their relationship with God. Let me tell you something right now if you're here tonight. One or two things is true about you. You're either drawing closer to God or you're falling away from Him. There's no such thing as a stagnant Christian walk. It truly is like a grease pole. You're either climbing up or sliding down, you can't stay in the same spot. And either you're hungering and thirsting to know Him better, and you're spending time with Him, we'll talk more about this tonight, or you're slowly or quickly falling away from Him. Most of you are here on a Wednesday night, so Lord willing that you're growing. Also, they couldn't be someone who was thin-skinned or easily offended. It also could not be someone who was a eunuch, was not able to reproduce. You know, if you're falling in love with the Lord, you're going to have an impact on the world around you. You'll be making disciples. You'll be uh, sharing your faith. And you'll be giving ministry away. And so, we saw that empowered by the Holy Spirit, they were able to do great and awesome things. So tonight, we're going to continue to look at the requirements of holiness for the priest. Those who served before the Lord as priest, but also the sacrifices that were made before the Lord. I titled the message tonight, Holy Priest, Holy Sacrifice. There had to be both. There couldn't just be a holy priest and an, un, an unholy sacrifice. And there couldn't be an unholy priest, as we're going to see tonight, and a holy sacrifice. There had to be both. Why did there have to be both? Let me tell you why. Who's the great high priest? Jesus. And who's the perfect Lamb of God? The perfect sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ. He's the holy sacrifice and He is the holy priest. And both of those things had to be evident in the Old Testament because those were the things that pointed to Jesus Christ. So tonight we're going to look at priests and their uncleanness that they were to abstain from being in service. We're going to see that Whoever was in the priest's house was able to eat of the holy things, but only specific people. We're going to see that the sacrifice must be made without any blemish. And we're also going to look at the age that was required for the sacrifice. Let's begin in verse 1, looking at the priest and in their uncleanness, what the consequences were. Look at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, that they separate themselves from holy things of the children of Israel, and they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord. Now, how did you become a priest? Who remembers? How did you become a priest? By lineage, by birth. How did we become a part of the royal priesthood? By spiritual rebirth. Amen? Aaron's sons automatically were priests. All right. Now, they didn't always serve in a godly way. We know that some of them blew it. Remember Nadab and Abihu? What happened to them? Got smoked. Why did they get smoked? Because they got outside of God's will. They were of the priestly line, but they didn't follow after God. You know, God has no grandchildren. Amen? doesn't mean because your parents are godly, your grandparents or aunts or uncles, you've got missionaries in your family, whatever it might be. None of that is relevant to you. You have to have your own individual relationship with God. You can't trust in, well, my great uncle was a priest or my, you know, my, you know, whatever. That's irrelevant. It's where are you at with Jesus? That's what matters. And so we see here that they were priests by birth and we are priests by spiritual rebirth. Again, a part of that spiritual priesthood. Then it says there, separate themselves from holy things. The word there, separate, means to abstain. So the priests were under ceremonial uncleanness, were forbidden to do the work of a priest. They were put on a shelf from service due to their uncleanness. You know, the same thing happens today. Now, I want to give real balance to this message. I want you to understand that God is a God of grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. Amen? Amen? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And the works that we do is something that comes out of a love relationship with God. As you're in love with Him, and as the Spirit of the living God dwells within you, good works will come out of you. You're not saved by your works, but good works are fruit of salvation. Okay? Now, what about sin in the life of a believer? Well, I'm forgiven, right? Yes, you are. But when I sin, does my sin still have consequences today? Yes. 
Does my sin break fellowship with God and render me ineffective for ministry? Absolutely. And that's what's happening to the priesthood. He says, guys, when you sin, you're going to have to abstain. You're going to have to pull back from all priestly ministry. You're going to be rendered ineffective because that's what you were created for. And now you're not going to be able to minister either to the people representing me or to me representing the people. The priestly company was, was to be set apart for holy service, personal holiness, Priestly uncleanness would defile the sacrifices. See, because what would happen is, if you took your sacrifice and you brought it and you put it into the hand of a priest who was unclean, all of a sudden that sacrifice was no longer good. So you had to have a holy sacrifice and a holy priest. Because both of those things together are a picture of Jesus Christ. If either was imperfect, the sacrifice was unacceptable. And the result would be, look what it says at the end, do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. They would profane the name of God if they brought an unholy sacrifice. Now remember, the sacrifices had to be a perfect animal, as we're going to see in a minute, but if you brought an animal with a broken leg, you were defaming the name of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ is perfect. And if you bring a sacrifice that is marred, you're saying that any sacrifice will do. It doesn't have to be the holy, perfect Son of God. It could be Mohammed, or it could be Buddha, or it could be my good works, or it could be something else. When I say that a maimed sacrifice is good enough, then it doesn't have to be Jesus Christ. There's only one sacrifice that's good enough. Amen? There's only one that could pay the price for our sins, and it's Jesus. If you could offer an imperfect sacrifice, what need would there be for a mediator between holy God and sinful man? We wouldn't need Jesus. So, all these hundreds of years before Christ came, He was giving them a clear picture. Guys, you need to understand. And they had reverence for it. And the priests knew that if I'm defiled, I'm out of commission. Let me tell you something. As your pastor, if you want to pray for me, please. I pray for you guys. You can pray for me. I'd appreciate it. But do you know that the thing that would grieve my heart more than anything in the world would be if I ever did anything that disqualified me to do the very thing I'm called to do. There's nothing that would grieve me more. Nothing. Other pastors and I have talked about that. We keep each other accountable. We pray for each other. And I'm not up here confessing because I'm not stumbling at this very moment, but take heed lest you fall. Amen? And so my heart is, Lord, I would never, I cannot imagine these priests when they come in and say, you know what, you're unclean, you're disqualified. You can't, I cannot imagine if I was unable to teach God's word and love God's people the way that I get to do this. What a great privilege. And so we see here that these guys understood, most of them. And for them, it was heavy duty. This word came to them and said, guys, if you defile yourselves, you're out of commission. You're not going to be able to do what you're called to do anymore. You're going to be disqualified from ministry. How does that apply to you and I? When you and I sin, you know what we do? Several things. One thing that can happen is we can blow our testimony with people that don't know Christ. Amen? How many of you have ever blown your testimony with your coworkers or friends or anybody? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you're lying, and there it is, another sin. Okay. Here's the reality. You can yell at somebody, and then you realize, oh, that wasn't good. Guy in traffic, oh, oh, and you blow it, right? And before you know it, you realize you got the Christian fish on the back of your car, and you pass that guy going 80, right? I mean, you're blowing your testimony when you make a stand for God, and then you don't represent Him in the right way. And we blow our testimony, and we're called to be a royal priesthood. We are called to pray on behalf of men, but we're also called to represent God before people. And the sad part is that very few people have a problem with Christ, but a lot of people have a problem with Christians. Amen? A lot of people go, oh, I know some Christians. Oh, yeah. I've, oh, yeah, I've had one cheat me in business, or I had one do this, or I had one do that. And the reality is that we need to give God a, a, the name that He deserves by living, sold out and set apart to Him. Verse 3, Say to them, Whoever of all your descendants throughout your generation who go near the, goes near the holy things with the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. The word therefore cut off means put to death. That's pretty heavy. Do you think these guys would be attentive to this? It means banished. And, and again, Nadab and Abihu are a perfect picture. What happened to those guys when they went into the holy place and they took, they took profane fire and they just went trucking in there on the wrong day at the wrong time? And what did God do? He just struck them down dead. Now, again, I believe that those who were called by God to represent Him have an even higher level of accountability before God on Judgment Day. The Bible even says so. I will stand before God and be judged, judged for every word that comes out of my mouth when I teach you guys on Sunday and Wednesday. 
Why do I find myself in desperation and in prayer before every time I teach? Because I realize the magnitude of what God allows me to do. The same is true for us, though. Same is true for you. You know, the way you represent Christ in your workplace, you will be accountable one day. The way you represent Christ in your house, as moms and dads and spiritual leaders in your home, and the way that you raise your children, and all those things, you're going to be accountable before God one day. Because He's called you, and He's equipped you, and He's given you His Holy Spirit, and He wants to use you for His glory. God did not save you to be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't save you to be the biggest, fattest, most healthy sheep around. He saved you to use you that you might minister to a world that so desperately needs the Lord. They would be removed from position. They would never be able to handle holy things. Again, now there were those where there could be restoration. With a greater offense, they were cut off completely. With a lesser offense, there was an opportunity for restoration to be put back into ministry. So drawing near to God in our own uncleanness rather than through the righteousness of Christ will result in holy judgment, the wrath, of all, the wrath of Almighty God. The gifts you've been given, God gave you for a reason. And He gave them to you so you could use them. Don't waste them. Don't waste them. How many people here have spiritual gifts? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up and you're saved, yes, you do. Amen? God called you, He saved you, and He's given you gifts. What are they? If you don't know, get on your face and say, God, show me. Just remember this, a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. If you have a burden to do something, God's given you a passion for it. Serving God is never a have to, it should always be a get to. Amen? It shouldn't be, oh man, it's my turn to teach in the children's ministry. Oh, I think I'm feeling sick. Call somebody, right? I mean, that's not calling. Amen? It should be a get to and not a have to. It's not a burden. You know, I don't have to call Mike and Ken and say, you know you're up for worship this week, right? Oh, no. I mean, they're planning weeks ahead. They're excited. Why? Because it's a calling. I don't have to call, you know, some teachers. I don't have to call the people to set up the chairs and, you know, Rod and Linda to do the kitchen and, and Michelle to do the bookstore. I mean, there are people. You're called and you do it and you love it and it's a passion because you're doing it for God. And God bless you because you're being obedient. Amen? And so you respond and God's given you gifts. But the sad part is when we walk out of His will, then those gifts are put on a shelf and now no, no longer do we have an impact on the world around us. That's what was happening with these priests. Now look what it says here. Whatever man of a descendants of Aaron who is a leper or has a discharge. Now we talked about this before. Leprosy. Leprosy looked, we looked at it in depth in Leviticus 13 and 14. Remember that it began with a swelling of the flesh. And I talked about this being puffed up in our flesh. A picture of leprosy. And then what would happen was it would spread throughout your body. And leprosy started small, and it didn't look like a big deal initially, but before you knew it, your nerve endings were gone, there was no cure, and body parts started falling off. It was so heavy duty that you eventually got to the point where you were banished, you could no longer be around people, you had to cover yourself up. If anybody came near you, you had to shout out, unclean! That's leprosy. And leprosy is a picture of the sins that everybody knows about, right? If you were a leper, you couldn't hide that from people. People knew. But there's also sins, and it says here, if a man has a discharge, and this is talking about a sexually transmitted disease. And unlike unlike leprosy that everybody saw, this was something that nobody saw. But you were unclean in both cases. One of them, everybody would say, oh man, that guy's got a major drinking problem. Oh man, that guy's angry all the time. That guy blows a head gasket at the easiest thing. And there's some sins where you could pick him out and go, oh yeah, man, that guy's struggling. Then there's other sins where nobody else seems to know, but God says you're just as unclean, you're just as separated from Him, and you're just as uh, put on the shelf when it comes to the gifts that God's given you, even if nobody else knows about it. Because the reality is that at some point, people will know. It says in Psalms, Cleanse me from my secret faults. Behold, your desire, you desire truth in my inward parts. Again, not just integrity in what people see, reputation, but character in what nobody sees. Who sees your hidden sin? The Lord does. God does. Amen? He knows. He knows it's there. It breaks fellowship with Him. It needs to be confessed and repented of and cleansed. Now remember that the Bible also says your sin will find you out. Amen? It's so much better to come to the Lord and say, forgive me, than to be busted in your sin. Amen? It's so much better to come with a confessing heart. The Bible says He will forgive you every time. 
You can take a million steps away from God, it's one step back. I don't care what you've done. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Praise God for that. But if we continue to walk in sin and we say, hey, tough, I'm just going to do it anyway, and I don't care. I'm hardening my heart toward God, and I'm just going to keep on living this life, and it doesn't matter what happens. Well, guess what? It's going to render you ineffective for ministry. You're going to break fellowship with Almighty God. You're going to start being dry in your walk with the Lord. You'll, you'll turn away from God's Word. There's an old adage that says, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Amen? You know what? People who love God have a passion for His Word. I love the Bible. The Bible rocks. It's such an awesome thing. It is, it is 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And it is B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. And God gave it to you as an owner's manual that you might walk with Him. But what happens is when you're living in sin, you, the Bible's not important anymore. You don't get up in the morning and have devotional time. You don't spend time with the Lord. You're chasing after the world. You become ineffective for the kingdom of God. And typically, a lot of times, that's because of hidden sin that's not confessed. Well, I'm just going to hang on to this. Nobody knows about it. God does. He's the only one that matters. Amen? You might be able to hide it from the world for a while, but you can't hide it from God. You know, do we want to see revival in Santa Cruz County? May it start in our hearts first. Amen? May we not walk around with unconfessed sin and just act like it's no big deal. God hates sin and so should we. Amen? He hates it. I used to have a t-shirt that said, love God, hate sin. Big letters, right? And the reality is that should be our heart. Hate it. Because sin separates me from God. I hate being separated from my family. I hate it. Because I love them. I hate hate when my kids go away for two weeks at a time. Kills me. I can't wait till they get home. Why? Because I love them. But you know what? My love for God should be greater than that. And I should hate being away from Him for five minutes, let alone weeks on end. Our heart goes harder and harder and harder. So that hidden sin destroys our testimony. It faces God's judgment. And again, the tendency today is sin's not a big deal. I mean, everybody does it. What I do when no one's watching is my own business. Oh, really? What verse you got for that? Right? Well, what he does in the the privacy of his own bedroom is between him and God, Almighty, creator of the universe. Amen? And it does matter. And when when we sweep it under the rug and say it's not a big deal, we're just rendering ourselves ineffective. To God, sin is a big deal. It destroys, it separates us, and it should never, ever, ever be taken lightly. So these priests, we see what would happen to them, because look what it says there. It says, if he's a leper or has a discharge, he shall not eat the holy offerings until he was clean. What is the only food that the priest ate? The holy offerings. So if you couldn't eat the holy offerings, what happened? You starved to death. Sin does the same thing to us. It makes God's word dry to us. We don't open the Bible anymore. It sits collecting dust and we're chasing after the things of the world. It separates us from God. We don't have a passion for the things that we should have a passion for. When you don't eat, you won't grow. Amen? The Bible says we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. How often do you eat? i got a snack drawer in the office and I'm in that thing eight times a day. Okay? I'm making sure that you know, my flesh is pretty well fed. My refrigerator, man, the hinges, they're going like this all day long. And the reality is, is, your, is the hinge on this opening as much as the hinge on your refrigerator door? The Bible says we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. And if we don't eat, we become malnourished. And then people come in for counseling, and the number one thing I ask them is, you're reading your Bible? Well, not really. We're struggling in our marriage. You guys praying together? Well, no, we don't, we don't pray. So you don't pray, you don't spend time in God's Word. No, we, we don't. And we're, yeah, and my husband sits around, he's on his computer all day, and I'm watching TV, and we're doing this, and we're doing that, and we're just, we just don't get along. Gee, I wonder why. God should be the center of the marriage, the center of the house. Do you know that the studies are out that one out of every two marriages ends in divorce, but one out of every over 1,000 marriages ends in divorce when the people pray together? Isn't that amazing? It goes up 500 times less divorces from people who pray together. Yet the sad part is, sitting in this room tonight, no doubt there are couples that don't pray together very often or or at all. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. Hey, husbands, it's in your lap. Get up and pray with your wives tomorrow. Amen? I want to encourage you. Get up and pray with your wife tomorrow. 
Don't make excuses. I'm too tired. I'm glad that the Lord wasn't too tired to go to the cross for me. Amen? We should not be too tired to get up and honor Him. You're too tired because you're up on your computer till 2 a.m. Turn that stinking thing off. Go to bed. Get up in the morning. Pray with your wife. You want to see revival in your house? You want to see revival in See God do great things? The priests were rendered ineffective because they had hidden sin and they could not eat and it only made them weaker and eventually they were cast completely out. God's called us to a royal priesthood. It's time to, you know, the Lord's coming is soon. We need to be more and more in love with Him, not less and less. More and more focused in, on Him, not less and less. It says, And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse, or a man who has an omission of semen, or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he would be made unclean, or any person by whom he would be unclean, whoever, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening, and shall not eat the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. He's saying, look, if you touch any dead thing, they were not allowed literally to walk over a grave. They were not allowed to touch somebody who had touched a dead person. They were not allowed, if they had lust in their heart and it caused them to, to have a, a physical act, that was sin. If they touched anything that was considered unclean, an unclean animal, a creeping thing. So you know what this made the priests do? They walked around, as the Bible says, walking circumspectly for the days are evil. They were walking around making sure they weren't stepping on bugs and stepping on dead stuff. But what it really made them do is be sensitive to how they were living. They were very careful. They would talk to somebody. Now, wait a minute. Your father died. Did you go to the funeral? You did? Oh, well, you know, I love you, man, but I can't come near you right now. You know, the reality is because that uncleanness would then rub off on them. And we talked about this two weeks ago. You cannot hang out with the world and not be, have that death rub off on you. The Bible says that those who don't know Christ are dead in their trespasses and sins. We love them. Amen? We want to see them resurrected. We need to pray for them. We need to have a supernatural love for them. But we don't have fellowship with them. Amen? We don't, you don't go hang out with the world and say, man, I'm really struggling in my walk. I was hanging out with my unsaved buddies, and we went out and did this and that, and yeah, and I didn't read my Bible because I got home and I was late, and I had a few too many beers, and I did this. And before you know it, your walk with God is a disaster because you become like those you hang out with. Hey, if you're a young adult, Friday nights, we have a Bible study down at the church office. Here's a choice. Friday night, you can go out and hang out with the world, or you can come and hang out with some people who love the Lord and will encourage you in your walk with God. Amen? That's why it's on Friday night. I want to encourage you to be in a place of fellowship where other people are holding up your hands, not saying, come on, bro, let's go get lit. Come on, man, let's go have something to drink. Hey, you know, let's go, women, let's go gossip. Let's go talk. Let's go do it. Hang out with people that when you are struggling will encourage you, not draw you away. You truly will become like those you hang out with. And this verse is saying, you touch something dead, you're defiled. You touch a creepy, you're defiled. And you're unclean the rest of the night. Now the good news is, because these were considered lesser offenses, there was the ability to be made clean. So they become unclean, but there was an ability to become clean once again. And praise God for that. Aren't you glad that when you sin, Christ still loves you? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the Bible says. So it's not us being really good so God will love us. It's because God loves us and we have a relationship with Him and we're filled with the Spirit that we can walk in holiness. It's impossible otherwise. And so we see here in verse 7, look what it says. And when the sun goes down, he shall be clean. And afterward he may eat the offerings because it is his food. So whenever this happened to him, he had to wash his body and then he had to wait. He had to wash and then he had to wait, then he would be made clean. So what is washing? What is water a representation of in the Bible? What is it? Two things. What is it? Holy Spirit and what else? God's Word. Washing by the water of the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Husbands, sanctify your homes by the washing of the water of the Word of God. You want your house to be set apart? Start opening the Bible with your wife. Open the Bible with your kids. Hey, I want to encourage you too. You know, I'm just going to get blunt. Hey, if your husband won't do it, wives... Grab a Bible and walk over and sit down next to him and say, hey, let's, let's get in the Word together. Do it. You know, maybe he just needs a little kickstart or something, all right? But God desires that we would take that time and do it. And so we see here that, that we need to be washed to be cleansed. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit can cleanse us and touch us and transform us into being regenerated and restored with Him. But it also takes waiting. And I believe here this is talking about waiting on the Lord. 
When was the last time you waited on the Lord? When was the last time you turned off the TV, you turned off the computer, you, you went and got quiet before God, and you just waited on Him? Lord, I want you to speak to me. Lord, I want you to minister to me. We live in the microwave world, man. We get up in the morning, and we, you know, the clock goes up, and run and get in the shower, and jump out, and fold the clothes on, and jump out and get the car. To the, and we're just like that all day long, right? And we get home, I don't know why I'm exhausted. Our brain overload. I mean, just nothing but information coming all day. And we get home and, whoa, you know, and right, open your Bible and drool in your, you know. And that's what happens if we give God the last of our time instead of the best of our time. And so we see here what's happening is he's telling them, guys, you need to wait. You need to be cleansed by the word and you need to wait on me. How's your devotional life? We're surrounded by death. We're surrounded by things that defile us and distract us and separate us from God. We need to be washed in the Word. You know, if I were to call you up, I'm, I won't do it because I love you guys. I'm winning bear. But if I were to call you up and say, come stand here. And, so tell me what you read in the Bible this morning and how it's ministered to your life. Oh, don't call on me. <laughs> right? oh, I was kind of busy this morning. I had an early sales call. God knows. Right? I mean, and we do that. But the reality is, we want to be cleansed and we want to be able to stand in a world that's so desperately in need of God. We need to start the day with the Lord. Amen? Start with Him. Give Him the first fruits of your time. Wait upon Him. They need to be washed and needed to wait. Verse 8, Whatever dies naturally or is torn by beast, he shall not eat it to defile himself with it. I am the Lord. He says, I am the Lord repeatedly in here because he just wants to remind them who's in charge. By the way, this isn't a suggestion. By the way, it's not the Ten Suggestions. Amen? Ten Commandments. And he says, I am the Lord. Oh, by the way, I am the Lord. Here's some information, and I'm the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega. Remember the Red Sea parting? Now, that was me. Remember the burning? Oh, yeah, that was me, okay? The, the Shekinah glory over there in the tabernacle, that's me. Heads up, guys, I'm talking to you. This isn't Moses' opinion. This is God's Word. Amen? And this is not pastor dave's opinion or the apostle paul's opinion or anybody else's opinion this is god's word amen and he says to them that they're not to take one one that is killed naturally you know why because we can never sacrifice to god that which costs us nothing if we just went out into our field and went oh another cow died let's drag it down and sacrifice it to the lord right oh dead cow oh good perfect because we got sacrificed in about three days that's perfect oh we should be able to throw some ice on it and Drag it down there and sacrifice. No, he's saying, if it dies naturally, you don't eat of it. You don't sacrifice it to the Lord. If it was killed by an animal, you don't sacrifice it to the Lord. It's kind of like, you know, if your car gets totaled in a wreck and you have it towed over to the church office. You know? Oh, well, it's totaled. Well, let's give it to the church. Right? (laughs) And the reality is that that's what's happening here. He's saying, look, you cannot, you don't give me what's left over. You cannot sacrifice that which costs you nothing. Remember David? They tried to give him, the, and he said, I'm, I'm not, I will not give that which costs me nothing. I will not sacrifice that which would cost me nothing. The priest was to be provided for through sacrifices only. Verse 9. It says, Thy shall keep my ordinance, lest ye bear sin for it and die thereby. If you profane it, I, the Lord, sanctify them. All the priest's nourishment was to come from what was offered to the Lord. And feeding on that which was unholy would result in sin being charged to their account, and the penalty would be death. So if we feed on something other than what God has provided for us, the result will be death. So if we're feeding on the words of Confucius, if we're feeding on the, you know, the, the Koran, if we're feeding on our astrology thing in the paper, if we're feeding on any ungodly counsel, the result will be death and separation from God. He said, you only feed on that which I provide for you that is offered first to me, and then I will bless you with it. If if you're ministering in any other way, if you're feeding on anything else, it will result in tragedy. Verse 10. No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall eat the holy thing. No outsider shall eat the holy offering. You know what? If you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you will not be able to understand God's Word. In Exodus 12, it says, No stranger should eat of the Passover feast. Those outside have not the Holy Spirit, cannot feed on the Word of God. It makes no sense to them until the Holy Spirit opens their eyes. How many of you read the Bible before you got saved and it made no sense to you? Or you struggled with it, right? And then you got saved and you read the same thing and go, oh. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's illuminating truth. 
And he's saying those who are outside are strangers, and those who are outside are unable to feed on it. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it, and one who was born in his house may eat his food. One who's been purchased by the priest may eat of it. What did Jesus do for us? He redeemed us. He paid the price for us. This is a picture of the priest purchasing someone to live in his house and serve, and the same thing has been done for us. He redeemed us that we might live in his house and serve. And once we've done that, we can feed on his truth. Verse 12. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of holy things. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child, and has returned to the father's house of her youth, she may eat of her her father's food, but no outsider shall eat it. Now what is this saying? If the daughter went out and married an unbeliever, she would break fellowship with God. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, and I don't care how fine he is or how fly she is or whatever else, okay? I don't care how cute she is. I don't care how smart he is. I don't care how much money he's got or she's got. Who cares? God's got one person for you. Wait for that one. God loves you. He knows what's best for you, right? Amen? And what he will give you will be the best. And saying here, if this daughter goes out and marries some unsaved guy, guess what? She can't even come home and feed on the truth anymore. She can't home and, and come home and eat in the priest's house anymore. She can't be ministered to by the very things that were sacrificed to God. Verse 14. And if a man eats holy offerings unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. So if a man accidentally ate something that was sacrificed to the Lord and didn't understand it, he was to pay it back 120%. Verse 15, they shall not profane the holy offerings of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord, or allow them to bear guilt of trespass, which they eat their holy offerings, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. Verse 15 and 16, the people were not to profane the offering by eating it themselves. The true sacrifice was a free will gift to God, and it was not for the people, but it was for the priest. It was those in priestly ministry, and the priests were not allowed them to profane the Lord. And the priest was to serve, to, to be able to offer sacrifice, he had to remain holy. Now again, why did he have to remain holy? Because he's a type of whom? Christ. And the, if he was unholy, or if he was in sin, and he tried to go in, he'd get the Abihu treatment. He'd get nadabbed, right? He'd get smoked. Because God was not going to have somebody come before him unworthily, because it's a picture of Christ. We'll move quickly here. Verse 17 second half talks about the sacrifice. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the children of Israel and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers of Israel who offers his sacrifice for any vows or any freewill offering which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own freewill a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Now, all sacrifices had to be given out of free will of one bringing the sacrifice. It had to be a perfect male without any blemish. The perfect male offered of one's own free will. Who's that picture of? It's Jesus. Did they drag Jesus to the cross kicking and screaming? Who arrested who? Those of you who been here on Sunday. Remember that? They came to arrest Jesus. He said, I am, and they all <laughs> flat on their backs, Right? He saw him coming with their torches and their lanterns, and he allowed himself to be arrested because out of his own free will, he laid down his life for us. And it's of their own free will that they made this sacrifice and had to be a perfect male, a picture again of Jesus Christ. And so we see here that if that sacrifice was done any other way, it was depicting something other than Christ. And if you depict something other than Christ as being the answer, then we've missed it completely. We are to give to God of our own free will. And we don't give Him the rest, we give Him the best. Amen? If you brought a blemished animal, you were saying that something other than Christ was sufficient. I can sacrifice for myself. I can follow Muhammad, I can follow Buddha, I can follow any man, because any sacrifice is good. We're not to give to God that which is blemished. What we no longer have use for, we need to give Him our best. Verse 21. And whatever, uh, verse 20, and whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow, or a free roll offering from the cattle of the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Again, 
Only a perfect sacrifice. Is he trying to drive this point home? But people yet today, what is one of the most common things you hear from the world today? Well, I believe there's many paths to God. Well, maybe it's Confucius for the people over here, and Muhammad for the people over here, and Buddha for the people over here, and it's Jesus for us. But for other people, it's other ways and other paths. Let me ask you a question. Anybody else perfect? Anybody else sinless? Anybody else the creator of the universe? No, 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 no. And this is going all the way back to Leviticus, written 2,600 years ago, or longer than that. And the reality is that when you look back and you realize that it's all pointing to Christ, we see again that nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. It says there in verse 22, Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord, either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short. You may offer as a freewill offering, but for a vow it's not accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. The obvious similarity, remember last chapter when they were talking about the priest? These are almost identical right down the list, blind, maimed, right? And you go right down the list and saying these are unacceptable in a priest and they're unacceptable in a sacrifice. Why? Because it must be a perfect holy priest and it must be a perfect holy sacrifice. Why? Because that's what's the picture of Christ. Anything less is a picture of something less than him. Both had to be without blemish. Verse 25. Nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as the bread to your God, of your God, because their corruption is in them, and defects are in them, and they shall not be accepted on your behalf. Now this is interesting. You're not allowed to take one from the hand of a foreigner that's brought in, because corruption is in them. The animal is blemished. The animal is blind. The one is from another land. The standard for the sacrifice is the same. A guy shows up from a faraway land, you say, well, he just doesn't know, and he doesn't really fully understand, so it's a little bit of a blemished animal, but come right on in because you didn't really fully get it. Some people say, well, the person lives in a faraway land, so maybe there's a different standard for them. Maybe there's a different way for them. And he's saying, look, I don't care. When a foreigner comes from a faraway land, it's held to the same standard. I don't care where you come from, where you live. It's Jesus Christ is the answer. Amen? You come from a faraway land and think, well, it speaks of the view that, again, maybe God sent Buddha, maybe, maybe God sent Hinduism, maybe it's many paths to God. All sacrifices held to the same standard, and they all must be perfect, and there's only one who is perfect. What did Pilate say about Jesus when he washed his hands of him? Who remembers? What did he say? I find no fault, I find no wrong in him. You know what he's doing? He was pronouncing the fact that the sacrifice was without blemish. I find no fault in this man. He was headed to the cross. He's perfect. He's without sin. And that's from an ungodly man like Pilate. Nobody ever said that about any of these other men that the world wants to follow today. It's Jesus Christ alone. He drove the point home, so I'm doing the same. Okay? Verse, uh, uh, excuse me. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When a bull or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall be seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day and thereafter, it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, this is interesting to me, that you couldn't make it a sacrifice until the eighth day. Now, for eight days to go past, there had to be at least one Sabbath, right? And also, what did they do on the eighth day to the Jewish babies? They circumcised them. When was Jesus presented in the temple? Eighth day. Okay. What did they try to do to Jesus right around that time? What did Herod do? What did he want to have happen? As they were younger, it could have been, it could have been up to two years old, but he tried to have him killed. Right? And what this is saying is no sacrifice can happen before the eighth day. No sacrifice could take place until that animal, we knew that it was perfect, it was able to stand on its own two feet, we could examine it, but I find it interesting that it's the eighth day, and it's interesting that they tried to kill our Savior, but he didn't die until his perfect timing. And this is a picture that it could not even begin until the eighth day that they would sacrifice an animal. I believe a picture of the fact that they could not kill Jesus in his infancy, in infancy even though Herod 
had tried to. Verse 28. It says, Whether it is a cow or a ewe, do not kill both her and her young on the same day. They were not to kill the mother and a, and a baby animal on the same day. And I believe just to show the tenderness they should have for these animals. I want you to understand something. I don't believe that when they made sacrifice for the most part, they were supposed to take the animal in their house. And God did this for a reason. They would bring the animal in their house, and they had to examine that animal in their house for several days to make sure that it was perfect, to make sure that it wasn't sick. You know why? I believe God wanted them to have an attachment to that animal. I believe He didn't want them just to go out in the field and grab an animal by its horn and drag it in. I believe He wanted them to bring it in and watch it and examine it. Kids are probably naming it, right? You know, the kids are riding on top of it around the house if it's big enough. And then they have to take that animal that they are now attached to and bring it down and hold its hand, its head in its hand and then slit its throat as they look into the eyes of this animal that's done nothing wrong. And I believe that that's God's eyes. He's saying, you know what? He wants them to, to understand what's happening. The Bible says a righteous man cares for his animal, Right? And so we are to, to love animals. We're to love them. We don't worship them. Right? Amen? This is Santa Cruz, I know, but we're, we don't worship animals. And whales are not more important than babies. Amen? But we are to, be, to care for them because God created them. And it's interesting to me that they would build this relationship first and then they would have to sacrifice them. Imagine sacrificing your pet at home. That's what it was like. That's heavy, huh? And your pet's done nothing wrong. You did it. Your fault. Oh, that's not good, right? But the reality is God wanted us to see the heavy price of sin. Price is it. Sin is heavy duty. Sin has heavy consequences. And sin requires a heavy sacrifice. Almost done. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. On the same day it shall be eaten. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. We talked about this several chapters ago. When they gave the thanksgiving offering, they were to eat it all that day. Why? Because I believe it was a picture of the fact that they were to trust God for more provision tomorrow, for one thing. And also, that they were to devour that sacrifice because it was a picture, the Thanksgiving offering was a picture of you sitting down with the Lord. Half of the sacrifice, or most of the sacrifice, was given to God, and the other portion was eaten by you. And it was like you were having a meal with God. And so it was you sitting down and, and having that feast with the Lord. And you were supposed to devour it all in one sitting, again, trusting that God would provide yet again. And also, when you did that, you had to sacrifice it near the altar. And it was a constant reminder of the work that would be done. Verse 31, Therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. He's making sure they understand. You shall not profane my, mo- my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. As God's children were to walk in obedience to His commandments, to obey is better than sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15. What's the highest form of worship? It's obedience. I can sit here and sing songs all day long and go out and live like the world. Now we should sing praise songs because He's worthy to be praised. Amen? He's worthy. But if we sing them and we live like the world, we're just walking hypocrites. Pastor Don used to say Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them. I surrender some, would be more accurate, right? And the reality is that God desires that we would give everything to Him. We obey because He loves us and because we love Him. We trust that He knows what's best for us in obedience to His commands. Verse 20, 32 again, You shall not profane my holy name. We profane His holy name by living contrary to His commands by offering blemished sacrifices, by saying there's another path to God, by denying His Word, by watering down the Gospel. What's happening in the church today? It's okay to be a homosexual and be a bishop. Why? Because it's the culture today. It's okay to be living with your girlfriend. It's okay to cheat on your taxes. It's okay not to spend time praying with your wife and your kids. It's okay to make your career more important. It's okay to do anything but what the, what the Bible says because people become biblically illiterate because God's Word is not important anymore. And he's saying right here that they are to not profane His holy name by living contrary to His Word. His name is to be hallowed, to be magnified, and to be lifted up, not cursed or made common, and yet we will spend God's money going to movies where they curse our Savior's name and say, well, there was a few bad parts, but it was a really good action movie. A little bit of arsenic in the dinner. Just a little bit, right? 
It's unacceptable. Would you take Jesus with you to that movie? You're taking him in the person of the Holy Spirit when you go. Amen? We're not to live like the world. We're not to fall to profane things. We're not to cur- bring cursing to his name. How many of you guys would be stumbled if you saw Pastor Dave walking out of some R-rated movie where they cussed 97 times? Ooh, right? <laughs> it's going to happen by the grace of God. I make sure if I go to a G-rated movie that I walk away from the interest of the R-rated movie when I leave so no one's confused, right? I don't buy, I don't buy a newspaper in a liquor store because I don't want anybody to see me walking out of a liquor store with a brown paper bag. I'm a pastor. I want, I'm accountable. But you know what? You're Christians. You're accountable. Amen? There's people that know you're professing Christ. Don't profane His name. Don't bring harm to His name. May people look at you and go, man, I want to know your God. You've got joy when nobody else does. Man, you love me like nobody else does. You're the best worker in the building. You've got a great heart. You have a passion for people. Tell me about this church you go to and this God that you serve. I want to know that God. Amen? Not, oh, another Christian hypocrite. May we be an example. And the last verse says, Who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. The word sanctify means He sets us apart. But not only does He set us apart, but He's the one that freed us from bondage. The bondage to sin and death. Who is it that gave you life? It's the Lord. Who is it that sets you apart to serve Him? It's the Lord. Who is it that we should follow and honor? It's the Lord. So, in closing... The same God who delivered you from a fiery future gives us a hope of eternal life. He sets us apart by the power of His Holy Spirit, adopting us as His own. He's calling us to trust Him and to walk in obedience to Him. There must be a holy priest, there must be a holy sacrifice, and both of them are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You know what, if you ask Him to help you, if you're here tonight and you're struggling with sin that maybe nobody else knows about, God knows and He wants to deliver you from it. Amen? And he can. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. And he can deliver you from that. When the sin comes and temptation comes, he can help you. One of the calls I get a lot is, man, I'm struggling with this, Pastor Dave. Well, I struggle too. But here's the reality. If we're walking with him, he'll help us not to fall into sin. That we may not profane his name, but that we may bring glory to his name by the way we live our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord. The Lord, anything you call us to do, you give us your Holy Spirit to fulfill that, that calling upon our lives. And Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here that's struggling with sin, maybe that nobody knows about, maybe they're looking at things on the internet that they shouldn't, maybe they're at home, they're not kind to their wives, or maybe they're being dishonest at work, or whatever it might be, Lord, you know the case. And Father, I just pray, Lord, for them, even right now, that you would just pierce their hearts, and bring them to a place of confession. And Lord, through that, I pray that you bring restoration through that repenting heart. And Father, I just pray, Lord, for each one of us, that you would help us not to profane your name, but to bring glory and honor to your name as we walk in obedience to you. Without you, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So Father, we just thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.